more week. One more week. One more week. One more week. Well, hello again, everybody, and welcome back to Sports Grudge with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell, and we are now officially less than one week away from the 2017 NFL Draft. And as you said, it'll be here before we know it. And we are at Sports Crush with D. Crom, plan to cover our final two groups of prospects by position for you this week. Tonight, we break down this 2017 crop of running back prospects. As I've said many times on this program, this running back class is arguably the deepest in quite a while and has the potential to be historically elite. And to finally analyze these special players for us, it is a pleasure to welcome to the show for the very first time my good friend Bill Carroll. Bill writes for a number of websites, including ProPlayerInsiders.com, Fanspeak.com, and NutsAndBoltSports.com, and you can see a lot of content of his on NutsAndBoltSports.com this weekend, so stay tuned for that. And he also is the director of his own scouting service, Consensus Draft Services. It's great to have you here, Bill. How are you doing? This is, you know, it's Chris Majuana Kwanzaa for us, right? I mean, we have everything about to happen. The things we've been working on since July, you know, you start, you look at all the pro days from last year, you look at all the drafts you did from last year, you sort of take a last look at last year, and then you clear the decks. And you look at what you've recorded from spring games and who's transferred where and all that stuff to get ready for the season. You write your little sort of preview articles in July and August. Then you start watching, you know, third week of August, you're watching games and then you just lock in. And now we're, we're about to cross the finish line. So it's a combination of, you know, what it must be like to run a marathon and give birth simultaneously. I completely agree, Bill. It is definitely um, a like a Christmas, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa for all us uh, football fans. Uh, again, we, obviously tonight, where the 2017 NFL regular season schedule was officially released just about um, 15 minutes ago as of uh, this recording. And also, in a week from tonight, we see the next generation of stars get drafted into the league. And uh, let's um, uh, get on with the program here and talk about these running backs. And the consensus amongst those in the know is that two running backs will go in the first round, Leonard Fournette of LSU and Christian McCaffrey of Stanford. Also, both are expected to be among the top 10 overall picks at this time. Which of these two backs would you draft first and why? The person I would take first is Christian McCaffrey. And I hear people repeatedly say, oh, we don't think he can hold up. We wonder about him carrying the load. What do you think he's been doing at Stanford for the last few years? He's been about 62% to 68% of their offense. And when you throw in special teams on top of it, he and Donnell Pumphrey, it's funny, the two players you hear people most often in the running back class sort of whine and complain about their worrying about durability are the two most durable running backs. They have had no missed, not just games, these are two guys who didn't miss any practices. Donnell Pumphrey and, and Christian McCaffrey didn't even miss practices. Shut up about durability. Wonder about durability of guys who actually got hurt. It's sort of funny how people try to project that this guy might not be durable when he's done nothing but be durable. So if he weighs 206 pounds, Tiki Barber weighed 204. Peyton weighed 204. I mean, Walter Peyton was a little thicker, a little shorter, but Emmett Smith started his career at about 203 pounds, ended at 209 pounds. Running back durability is not based on size. It's based on avoiding taking the big hit, the kill shot. And it just so happens that no one is better at avoiding that than those two little running backs. One's not even little. 
McCaffrey's not small. <laughs> That's the thing that drives me nuts. McCaffrey is a perfectly sized running back for the modern NFL. It's 19, 1972. You don't need to be Larry Zonka anymore. I don't know where people's minds are about running backs nowadays. You don't run a bunch of 30 gut and I lead plays anymore. You're not going to slam it up there between the tackles 24, 27 times a game anymore. You don't need to be Jerome Bettis to be a lead running back nowadays. I would take McCaffrey because, worst of all, you never have to take him off the field. He can line up out wide. He can line up in the slot. He can run between the tackles. He can run out wide. He could be your wild whatever quarterback if you want to do that sometimes. He obviously could be a great return guy as well. You want to be judicious with that, I suppose, simply because of the load you're going to put him in the offense. And then I love Fournette. Fournette is sort of a quote-unquote throwback. I called him John Brockington with a jetpack. I'm sorry that reference is lost on him when he was less than about 40. But that's who he is. He reminds you very much of, once again, that sort of old style of running back, the Lawrence McCutcheons of the world, and those guys, those who did run it up between those 30-gut and I-lead plays 24, 27 times a game. But he catches the ball better than people realize. He's going to be a very good one. I think they're both going to be very, very good. I completely agree, and you have an excellent uh, point about McCaffrey, and it was, I saw several comments like uh, those on Twitter yesterday where they argue that McCaffrey should be drafted higher because he's more of the uh, modern NFL running back, it, that, that he's not, he doesn't really line up in the backfield, he is a versatile chess piece, uh, you, as you said, line him up out wide, he can return kicks, that uh, you could uh, also uh, line him up in the backfield, he is the weapon that today's NFL offenses um, covet. And uh, and who do you think of those two backs gets drafted first and why? Well, that's an interesting question because it sort of depends, obviously, on who falls to whom and who, what two or three surprise picks happen. I believe there's a good chance Fournette goes earlier simply because there are probably – it doesn't require as much creativity of thought to see him as your guy. But I just think about what that guy could do if Sean Payton got his hands on him. I mean – there are two or three minds, Andy Reid, there's, there's a few minds that would turn this guy into, what, what, do you, what can you imagine? He could be a devastating offensive weapon. Well, I think Fournette will be very good. I think the better career arc is probably McCaffrey's. Now, that being said, should Fournette go to a place where they have a tremendous offensive line and they want to really establish the run, especially sort of an old school running attack, what we just saw the Cowboys do, what the Carolina Panthers would like to get back to doing. He could be rookie of the year, that being said. he He's a power back with explosiveness. That's not explosiveness in the sense of, you know, being a hot guy who jumps high. More of explosiveness on contact, and that's a different kind of explosiveness. You have some guys who have that great burst where within three steps they've covered 20 yards, it seems, and they're going, you know, 80 miles an hour. He's not that. But he has that contact explosiveness. What Bruce Lee called his, you know, his six-inch <laughs> punch, right? That ability to go right through someone's chest, who's come, who's coming downhill on them full speed. He turns. He's got two steps, but still he overpowers you at the point of attack. He has that great ability to basically uncoil his power into you when you make contact with him. Now, the only concern about that is that those guys do eventually, after about six or seven years, tend to wear down just from taking the hits. He's not a guy that's going to be able to avoid as many hits as a guy like McCaffrey. So I guess long-term, McCaffrey's going to be the guy I think has the better long-term career. I wouldn't be shocked, even in the right situation, though, Fournette ends up being rookie of the year. 
Very good points there, Bill. And uh, there are also two other running backs that have solicited first-round grades uh, from the scouting community and from the NFL in general. But they are likely to fall out of the first round due to character concerns. One is obviously Joe Mixon of Oklahoma, given the 2014 video of him punching a woman that serviced a while ago, plus the story that's been recently going around that he was arrested in high school on domestic violence charges that were eventually dropped. Aside from those huge red flags, many believe Mixon has the highest ceiling of any running back in this class and has drawn comparisons to Le'Veon Bell from some. Which round would you consider drafting Mixon at the earliest? At the earliest is round two. And... As much as I love people's, you know, attempts to compare him, the running back he's probably most like is Ronnie Brown. And in that, he is a guy who was never the guy in college. For those who have forgotten, Ronnie Brown, who went third overall, was not even the lead running back at Auburn. That was Carnell Cadillac Williams, who, despite being smaller, was the more powerful and durable running back, like durable, at least in college, running back. Ronnie Brown was a guy that, they were never able to put the full load on because he wasn't a guy that showed that mental and physical toughness to keep, you know, slamming your body against other people's bodies continuously, which is hard. People don't realize, lots of people say, well, this guy can carry the load, though he never has done it before. There's a skill that's associated with managing the pain. Frankly, it hurts being a running back for those who have never played the position. <laughs> you're managing your pain and you're managing your fatigue. Guys who've never been the guy, the guys who've been the 12, 14 touch guy, yeah, they make that great run in the third quarter. Mixon's famous for that. He's busting off a 70-yarder against a tired defense, and that's awesome, and it looks great. But you can't do that, or it's less likely you'll do that if you've carried 20 times before that and you've taken some, some pretty wicked shots. So that's the guy I wonder if he can be the guy because he's never done it before, at least not at the collegiate level and obviously not the NFL level. Uh, he, could he catch the ball well? Yes. Pretty good change of direction, explosive for his size, Good power, above average speed. Deuce McAllister, Ronnie Brown are the guys I sort of see. Le'Veon Bell was actually a 244-pounder in college and a, and a power back with really quick feet and soft hands who's turned himself into a slightly supersized Marcus Allen by losing all that pit with all that weight. Every year he's reported to camp lighter than each the year before. We'll see. He might be 205 pounds this year. Who knows? But he's completely changed himself. So Bell has some to give character issues. He's certainly had some missteps, but the one thing he's done extremely well is manage his body. So he's no longer this thumper that he was. I mean, this is a guy that had LeGarrette Blunt comparisons in college for those who've forgotten what people thought of Le'Veon Bell at one point. And now, he, like I said, he's turned himself basically into a supersized Marcus Allen. Uh, getting back to Dalvin Cook and getting back to, of course, the embattled Joe Mixon, Dalvin Cook luckily doesn't have a video. And he's had more incidents, but nothing quite so heart-stoppingly, viscerally disgusting, quite frankly, as the assault on young Miss Amelia Molitor. So the things that stick with me, one is that Mixon's contrition conveniently did not begin, or if it began, it didn't begin at least publicly until the video came out. So that tells you a little bit about character. And Dalvin Cook from my understanding and talking to people around the Florida State program is a kid who has certainly had some missteps, some poor judgment, immaturity, and has hung around some guys that he should stay the heck away from. But he doesn't seem to have a, a malicious or violent bone in his bone. I shouldn't say, let me put that differently. He has not punched a woman in the face ever in his life. Let me put that, put it that way. He has certainly been in some scrapes, even where punches were thrown, but never against a woman. So take that for what it's worth. 
Yeah, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Dalvin Cook, uh, Bill, and uh, Dalvin Cook is obviously the other running back I was uh, referring to when I mentioned these two running backs with uh, first round grades who are likely to fall out of the first round due to character issues. Right. Uh, Joe Mixon was the first, and we talked about him, and Dalvin Cook is the other, um, and uh, also uh, issues with fumbling the football and uh, is also pushing his stock down as is like uh, uh, like a known history with like certain gangs or groups like that um, is helping drive a stock down as well. But, however, on, on the football side, some people believe that at the present time, Cook is the best running back in this class given his amazing footwork. What are your thoughts on Dalvin Cook? And do you think teams picking toward the end of the first round should consider his services? I believe that if one of the two troubled backs cr- cracks the first, it's more likely Cook. But I think there's a good chance that they both would narrowly miss the first. Here's what I'll say about Dalvin Cook. And Shady McCoy has been a comparison many people have made. And it's not, it's not an inapt comparison. It's not a bad comparison. Uh, there are some differences. I think he is probably a guy who has a little – the thing that, that bothered me, and still just something that bothers me about Shady, even now, is he will definitely spend a little too much time. We talk about Le'Veon Bell, and that's a patient runner. There's also that guy that does a little too much behind the line of scrimmage. There's a there's definitely times when Shady will get you eight yards that weren't there because he finds a hole, creates a hole by drawing the defense and cutting and recutting and cutting again. But then he'll lose you eight yards sometimes when he could have gotten three just by sticking his nose in there and getting three yards. With Dalvin, you don't see that so much. He makes a much more decisive cut and gets downhill more quickly than Shady did, at least at the same point in his career. And he's got more power than people realize. Uh, I've seen him break more tackles than Mixon on tape. Now, once again, Mixon doesn't carry the ball as often. But if you just chart their runs, the guy with more broken tackles is is, is Cook, not Mixon. The the things I, that concern me about Cook, other than obviously what we talked about, sort of a general feeling of stuff about often, <laughs> right? Because he's one of the guys where it's not – you can't point to that one event and say, oh, my God. It's more like just stuff, an accumulation, right, like, with him. Like, the thing that I point to, and yeah, I think the fumbling, I mean, Tiki Barber, lots of guys have had problems with fumbling. Adrian Peterson, right? Even to this day is a guy that fumbles more than you'd like. Not, I'm not saying you sort of say, well, that's the cost of doing business, but it's something that can be worked on. I think you'll work on it and get better at it. My bigger concern is that the way he runs for his size, I would like him, I hate to put it this way, but I'd like him sometimes to say, my journey is done. I'm going to get this X number of yards, and I'm not mad if he decides occasionally to tiptoe out of bounds or occasionally, you know, give a guy a soft shoulder run, trying to run through everybody all the time. I love his passion and I love his toughness, and I will never want to see a guy get rid of that all the time. And obviously, there'll be times, hey, it's the Super Bowl, or hey, we got to win this game to get to the Super Bowl, or hey, this is going to win or lose us the game. Yeah, if you have to die getting that yard, die getting that yard. But there's times when he's giving, I mean, I don't want to take that away. You don't want to say, don't do that, but. You want a little bit of self-preservation. And some people down McCaffrey for that. That's part of why he's so durable is he knows I've gotten as much as I'm going to get out of this run. Let me preserve my body. I wish Cook would learn a little bit about that. He's Bill Carroll, ladies and gentlemen. Bill Carroll writes for ProPlayerInsiders.com, Fanspeak.com, and NutsAndBoltsSports.com, and is also the director of his own scouting service, Contessa's Draft Services. You can follow him on Twitter at 11Bravo138. And now let's um, 
right, uh, let's uh, turn our attention away from the stars and focus on the overall depth of this class, which is just as intriguing. Yes. And what are some of those lesser-known running back prospects that could provide tremendous value on, say, day three of the draft? How much time do you have? Um, <laughs> I mean, I could go for a while. I, I don't know why people aren't talking about Ace Wales, a.k.a. Anthony Wales from Western Kentucky. Surprising power for his size. Tremendous hands. Runs good routes. Faster than I think people realize. There's, there's no real holes in his game, quite frankly, other than not being the biggest cat, cat in the world. Along the same vein, Itavius Mathers, right? Another tremendous smaller, but let me say smaller, about 197 pounds. Not, I don't know. I don't know what people think how big a modern running back needs to be, but he's big enough in my book. Uh, that's a guy who I think is going to have a really good career. If you don't mind going to the tiny back, but a guy who's going to be probably a third down back is a super fast kid from Cal named Califani Muhammad, who unfortunately was in air, the bear raid offense, so he got precious few carries. But if you watched his tape, whew, he is a big play waiting to happen. A lot of people are excited about TJ Logan, who is also stupid fast. But right there in that sort of same breath, to me, is Califani Muhammad. And of course, I just mentioned Logan, who is one of the, I mean, maybe the fastest running back of this entire draft class. But my rough draft crush, my my whoopee, my my little I heart you is Donnell Pumphrey. And I know people like to take shots at his size. And, you know, I, I use the work done comparison. This is a guy that has run the ball between the tackles probably more than any back in this entire class with the possible exception of, of, of uh, Fournette. He's in a power downhill running attack. He's not in a spread. He's one of the few guys who's not a spread offense runner. He's in an old school running attack. Watch Nico Saragusa pulling around and smash people in all his power and 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 um, G lead and uh, you know counter tray like throwing back to the old um, you know hogs days of Washington. They run a lot of those same power plays and those G lead and a lot of those um, I mean pull and double pull plays that you used to see counter tray plays. You used to see Washington run. Back with Riggins. He's running those at 100, I guess he's up to about 176 pounds now, and he runs with no problem. He understands how to manage contact, which is what you have to do at his size, but has, once again, more power than you'd expect. Tremendous acceleration, great hands, hands better than a lot of the wide receivers in this class. He's going to be a great third down back for somebody. Along this, if we like smaller backs or sort of the Darren Sproles type, Tariq Cohen, right? Tariq the Freak from NCANT. Oh my gosh, is there is no more fun tape of any position, any player, anywhere in the draft than Tariq Cohen. If you have not availed yourself of Tariq Cohen's tape and you're a connoisseur of fun runs, you're depriving yourself. You know, grab a cognac or a, a Pepsi or whatever it is you like, <laughs> put your feet up and treat yourself to Tariq the Freak Cohen. He is amazing to watch on tape. This is a um, can I keep going? Matt Breda from Georgia Southern, another guy who's once again not the biggest guy in the world, but he's going to find a home, and somebody's going to get a good running back out of him. It's a ridiculous class, quite frankly, of running backs. Um, I, I could, I, mean, I really could keep going. Um, I, I have a name to add. Um, yes, um, we've been fixated on this guy for quite a while. I first saw some film on him back in 2015, actually. I'm talking about Kareem Hunt from Toledo, and you talked about Danelle Pumphrey running bigger than his size. Kareem Hunt is the same basic type of guy. He might uh, look a little small, but he runs like he's big and strong. Yeah, he's about 208 pounds, but he runs like he's about 240 pounds. Uh, along that same vein, since we're, we're just knocking him out, uh, Elijah Hood 
is a guy that, frankly, I think should have stayed in school. It's a really deep running back class. I think he would have gone higher next year and he would have gotten, you know, more pub and all that other stuff next year. And I think Carolina's going to be a more run-centric offense next year. I think he sort of hurt himself by coming out this year, but he's going to eventually be a starting running back for somebody. Elijah McGuire is another one of those, you know, five-tool players. He can pick up blitzes. He can catch the ball in the slot. He can catch the ball out wide. He can run between the tackles. He can run outside. There's not much he can't do. And once again, if he wins such a deep class, he'd be getting more love. Right? Matthew Big Days from NC State. Another guy who, once again, runs with great power for his size. Oh, my gosh. Joe Yearby, right? Joe Yearby from, from Miami. He's going to be a third down back. I don't really go in for somebody. D'Angelo Henderson from Coastal Carolina. He's going to be part of somebody's uh, you know, running back by committee system somewhere. And another one of my favorites, one of my favorites is Aaron Jones from UTEP, University of Texas, El Paso. And if it weren't for the fact that basically nobody watches UTEP football, oh my gosh. I, I, I think he's as good a running back, if not a better running back than Alvin Kamara. And I would, given the choice, I would probably take Aaron Jones over Kamara. And while we're at it, Marlon Mack from South Florida, a guy who's going to be a starting running back for somebody. He's going to beat somebody out sooner rather than later. Uh, a guy who's going to be part of somebody's running back by committee system is Wayne Gallman. And I'll throw out sort of a poor man's uh, fournette, not as fast, but just as powerful, maybe more powerful even, is Samaj Piran, who was the starting running back at, at Oklahoma, who was never unseated. Mixon never beat him out. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't mean that Mixon won't have a great pro career, but it should be pointed out that somehow people have overlooked Samaj Pirine to look at this guy who was his backup, basically. Fascinating how that works. Uh, I'll throw out one other bigger back that is getting starting to get some late love, but was sort of slept on much of the year, was uh, Chris Carson from Oklahoma State. And once again, an air raid offense, not a lot of traditional runs where you're just, you know, getting the ball, you know, you're seven yards behind the the quarterback and just smacking it up in there. They don't do that very often. So you have to project about what you think he can be, but he certainly has a lot of talent. And I'll throw out one. I could do, I could keep going, but I'll, <laughs> uh, but I'll throw out one last one. Uh, Javion Williams, University of Texas, San Antonio, throw on, well, actually throw on a lot of tape, but throw on the rice game, right? Um, he knows how to make people miss in short areas. He has really good power, runs in the low four fives, He's going to be another part of somebody's running back by committee system. Oh, okay. I, I'll throw. I, I lied. Okay, I got to mention Joe. <laughs> I got to mention. I got to mention uh, Joe Williams. So everyone knows the story. You know, six games into his senior season, he quote unquote retires, and he was beaten up and he was he was falling down the depth chart. They have then three running backs, not one, not two, three running backs go down in the next two games. He returns from quote unquote retirement and has a great close to the season, including two two hundred yard games. He is a guy with tremendous quickness, good long speed, about 211 pounds. He's a guy that probably will never be a full, full-time starter. But if you want to think of sort of someone he's like, uh, who unfortunately had his career in early, was think of David Wilson, the former uh, Giants running back. A lot of the same qualities. And durability, obviously, is a big question. I mean, here's a guy who, quote-unquote, retired. You're always going to want to question not only the, the physical durability, but the mental toughness of a guy who does that. Thank you for that amazing, amazing list and details of these uh, talented running backs that uh, we all hope to see get drafted next week, Bill. And uh, you just may be even more excited about this potentially uh, historic class. And uh, speaking of uh, football history, uh, let's um, 
discuss a bit of a historical context here. Sure. Uh, in recent years, in the earlier part of this decade, many were wondering if the bell cow running back, and for those uh, lay people out there, when I say bell cow running back, I mean the workhorses like Eric Dickerson, Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, Emmett Smith, Tony Dorsett, Earl Campbell, etc. Right. Many thought that the bell cow back w was just not worth it anymore, and some even declared it extinct. However, there has been somewhat of a resurgence of the bell cow running back over the past three seasons, as you could see the season DeMarco Murray had in 2014, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, David Johnson last season, and, and Le'Veon Bell, when he's healthy and not stupid, can handle all the work he can. But And given the declining quality of quarterback play in the NFL, do you think the bell cow running back will have a complete resurgence plus become more valuable than ever before? I won't go so far as a complete resurgence. I think that would be a lot to ask. But I think certain teams, particularly once again, we're in the age of, how I put this, more and more quarterbacks are less ready to do this, you know, to have the full load put on them. We just talked about the perfect storm with Dak Prescott, the great offensive line that Dallas has, and of course, Ezekiel Elliott being a close to generational quality running back, a guy who has, you know, some elements in his game of a guy like, uh, you know, Marshall Falk to some extent, and then, but still have some elements in terms of being able to smack it up there between the tackles and, and just run for pure power that you would see in, you know, a, a, some of the more traditional sort of power back types. That's a rare combination. And as much as I love this running back class, there's nobody I would take ahead of Ezekiel Elliott, quite frankly, in this class. But there are certainly guys who have all of the elements, maybe not all in one guy, but you can find all those elements. You may have to get two backs to get all the things that you get from a guy like Ezekiel Elliott. But that being said, there's a handful of teams that I think want to get close to that. We're never going to get back to... You know, look at what the 72 Dolphins did, their, their perfect, quote unquote, perfect season. They won the Super Bowl where I think there were 13 passes attempted. 13. 13. Uh, that's not coming back, <laughs> just so you know. They had, they, had, they had three 1,000-yard rushers at one point between Mercury Morris, Zonka, and, um, and Jim Kick. That's not coming back. You're never going to have a three 1,000-yard running back running backfield again. So, no, we're not going to get all the way back to that. We're not going to get back to the days of Jim Brown. We're not going to get back to the days of Walter Payton. We're not going to get back to the days of Emmitt Smith. We're not going to get all the way back to that. But what we can do and can expect, I think you'll see more and more teams, some of them with the quote-unquote bell cow, some of them doing it by committee, but trying to get at least back to 60-40, you know, pass run. There were only – three or four teams that were at least 40% run this past season. That's a, a shocking statistic. You know, I mean, if the world has flipped. When I first started following football, there was only a handful of teams that were even over 50% pass. A handful, like three, I think. Um, you know, you go back, you look at 1972, 73, 74, teams that were even 50% pass were seen as, you know, aerial circuses. Woo! You know, the first, the first version of, of Air Coriel was actually before he got to um, San Diego was when he had Jim Hart and JV Kane and um, Terry Metcalf, Eric Metcalf's dad, who was a great receiving running back, whack with the old Cardinals in St. Louis. And they were seen as, you know, and the, the late JV Kane was going to be one of those great sort of, he was going to be his first Kellen Winslow, but he sadly died. He had a congenital heart defect and died at like 25 or 26. But he was an amazing athlete, six, four and a half, 
about 252 pounds, but could run step for step with name somebody. He was one of the fastest big tight ends of that, the fastest big tight end probably of that era. And he would hang, he would hang with the guys nowadays. He probably ran about four six eight, four six nine at his size in those days. And that was flying in those days. So he had the prefiguration of that eventual uh, Eric Coriel, even in those days in the early 70s. And I got a chance to watch those guys. And they were like 53% pass. And people thought, wow, you know. So even when you think about the West Coast offense, when, you know, that emerged shortly thereafter, that was still a 54, 55% pass to run offense. So we're never going to get back to that. No, I mean, <laughs> that's not coming back. Teams are going to be 60, 58, 64, and a few teams t- darn close to 70% pass as opposed to run. But a handful of teams with the right kind of situation, the right kind of offense, and young quarterbacks will probably try to get closer to, like I said, you know, may- maybe a little over 40%, 42, 43, 44% uh, run at least. That's definitely going to be a fascinating trend to watch, Bill. And we thank you once again for bringing your encyclopedic football mind to this program. But before you go, we're going to play a fun little game, and it's a challenging one, and it's called Absolutes. And uh, the way this game works is I name a trait that NFL teams look for in a running back, and you, um, uh, using your best uh, judgment, uh, give us which prospect you think has that best, is the best at that certain uh, characteristic. Starting with vision, which running back prospect has the best vision? I'm going to go Dalvin Cook. I think he has elite level vision. Dalvin Cook for vision. Which running back prospect has the best receiving skills? Well, I mean, that's sort of an easy one. It's McCaffrey. Um, I knew you were going to say McCaffrey. I mean, that's an easy one. Um, Now, but Pumphrey's closer to him than people realize. Pumphrey's got great hands. But McCaffrey, I mean, you could tell he grew up around an NFL wide receiver. I mean, you could tell he's been catching footballs probably since, you know, his eyes could focus. Oh, most definitely. And uh, his father, a two-time Super Bowl chap, instilled the winner's mind in him as well. And that is another um, a blue chip characteristic uh, a team. That, that whoever gets Chris McCaffrey will love. Uh, which running back prospect has the best cuts? Oh, that's an interesting one. Hmm. Wow. I'm going to go back to Cook. Uh, there's a this, That's a tight race, though. There's a lot of guys. With, this is a, if you like slashers, you like guys who can cut back, guys who can find hidden yards. Uh, there's a lot of them, but I guess I'm going to go cook. And if you like looking out for guys next year, I know this is supposed to be about this draft class, but keep an eye out for Rashad Penny, who's going to step in for um, for Nell Pumphrey next year at San Diego State University. He has tremendous speed and power, but cuts like nobody's business. He's got he's got cuts like DJ Jazzy Jeff. And then keep an eye out for uh, Saquon Barkley, obviously, who is an absolute stud at Penn State. Those two guys, I'm already super excited about them for next year. Sorry, didn't mean to go off off task. No, no, no. You're good. You're good, Bill. Uh, which running back prospect has the best? We, we we talk about Le'Veon Bell. We think of patience. Which running back prospect has the best patience? In I'm going back to McCaffrey. Boy, those names are coming up a lot. But McCaffrey is amazing at how he sets up his blocks. Now, he is lucky in that he's in an offense that is, you know, traditional. I mean, he sees NFL-type blocking. Stanford is one of a handful of teams, along with, to some extent, LSU, Wisconsin, and very few others that have, a, and I guess to some extent Alabama, they have a lot of traditional NFL blocking concepts. So he's seen NFL offenses in terms of the blocking schemes, and he knows how to set guys up. He's extremely patient. He will, you know, stay on the play side 
till he's almost tackled sometimes in order to set up a cutback. He draws in, he sees the sandbacker is sort of hanging back, hanging back, because he's been yelled at about, don't let him cut back on you. Don't let him cut back on you. Sandbacker's holding, holding, he's holding his water, and finally he says, okay, now I got him. And when he finally takes that second step downhill, pew, there goes McCaffrey out the back door. Indeed. Um, which running back prospect has the best power? Ooh, that's a good one. A lot of people are going to say Fournette, and I think Fournette's a good choice, but I'm actually going to go Samaj P. Ryan. People don't, I, I don't know, it's like people stop watching Samaj P. Ryan or something like, because Mixon captured their attention, or I don't know, they can't watch two running backs on the same team somehow. I don't get it. But Samaj P. Ryan, he doesn't have the Sports Center top 10 run that, uh, per, that uh, Fournette had against Auburn, which is mostly because of that isn't that. Throw on that Kansas State game. Throw on, right? He's not, he doesn't just run to daylight. He runs to darkness, and he gets those dark yards where he's dragging two and three guys consistently. Throw on that Kansas State game. Throw on the Oklahoma State. Throw on almost any game of some other P rides, and you're going to find three or four runs where he's got four bodies on his body, and he gets another two or three yards after their contact. Uh, you're, you make me want to turn on that film uh, right after we're done here, Bill. Uh, but, but, but we got a couple more. Which running back prospect has the best speed and explosiveness? I kind of think who you're leaning towards here. Well, in terms of speed, it is Logan. Um, Logan is a freakishly fast human being. Uh, his ability to just accelerate and just take off, he takes off like a shot. I mean, he is crazy fast. Um, and then I'm, I guess I'm going to go Califani Muhammad for explosiveness. He's a track athlete, and you can sell when you watch him. Um, now, amongst the bigger-bodied backs, because those are both smaller guys, if you want to go one of the bigger-bodied backs, that's where Mixon makes his money. He is a, a very explosive bigger back. But just for pure explosiveness, if you don't mind me going to the little guys, it's it's Logan and, and Muhammad. Califani Muhammad and, uh, and TJ Logan are stupid quick and very, very fast. Fascinating. I don't. I didn't even recall those two names coming up uh, earlier in the program. And thank you for bringing those names up as well. And the following trait is arguably the most important trait for a, um, a running back in the National Football League these days: pass protection. Which running back prospect has the best pass oh. protection skills? Now this is the harder thing to find. Uh, Dalvin Cook is probably the winner here. Uh, most of these guys don't do well. McCaffrey has done a fair amount of pass protection amongst this class. See, that's the thing about Mixon, and some people have blown past this. Mixon didn't pass protect. Whenever they had third and longs, despite that he's supposed to be a quote-unquote third down back, I mean, they would send him out to, to, to catch balls, but whenever they had to have somebody actually stay in and pass protect, it was either Perrine or, oh, I can't remember the third, the, uh, they had a third running back that would come on sometimes as well, whose name escapes me now, but it wasn't, it wasn't Mixon. Mixon has not shown that, and that's something I'm worried about, quite frankly, is him picking that up. But I'm going to say... I think I will say Cook. He actually has done a pretty good job. McCaffrey's close, but I think Cook is the slightly better at that. And Fournette's pretty decent at it, too. So all those three guys are all good. There's, like You feel pretty decent about them, but I think Cook's the slightly better of them. More accurate, I'll put it that way. Fournette's powerful, but he doesn't always know the right guy to block. And I've seen Cook make fewer mistakes in picking the right guy to block. And uh, talking about accuracy and pass protection, that leads us to our next trait. Pre-snap instincts. Which running back prospect has the best pre-snap instincts? Oh, that's a good one. That's a really good one. That's a great question. Hats off. I think I'm going to go once again McCaffrey again. His football IQ, not surprisingly, is quarterback worthy. I mean, he thinks the game at a super high level, which is why you can move him around so much. 
So his ability to know what defenses want to do, and he knows defenses are stacked to stop him. You know, I mean, it's not like it's a newsflash. No offense to the quarterbacks that he's played with at Stanford, but you've been told, make them throw the ball. Make them beat us throwing the ball. You've been drilled. If you're in defensive meetings, they talk. it's the first thing you talk about. It's the last thing you talk about. Make them throw the ball. Make them throw the ball. Make them throw the ball. So he's having to read a lot of eight-man defenses and the occasional nine-man box, and he does a great job of doing it and still finds yards. And last but not least, which running back prospect has the best athletic measurables? Well, see, that depends on what you think athletic measurables mean, I guess. But I guess if we're just looking at – I mean, I guess it could probably go back to Logan again. Now, he was once again nothing more than a part-time player at Carolina with obviously the aforementioned um, Elijah Hood being the main ball carrier at Eastern North Carolina. But he did return kicks and punts, and he's you know ridiculously fast. He ran 4-3-1 at the Combine, and he's been at other times in his life timed even faster than that. I mean, he's the one guy – who probably could give a pretty good scare to John Ross for just pure ability to run in a straight line fast. He is really seriously fast. He'll probably never be more, like I said, than a part-time player at the next level. He wasn't a part-time player. He was only a part-time player in college as well, but he's a guy who catches the ball fairly well. Not a tremendous amount of toughness, but a little more toughness than a 176 pound guy might usually have. And yeah, fun. Once again, fun tape. His runs are fun. But he just isn't the guy who's going to be able to pound it in there just because he's got a smaller frame. Bill Carroll, ladies and gentlemen, ProPlayerInsiders.com, Fanspeak.com, NutsAndBoltsSports.com, and he runs his own scouting services, Consensus Draft Service. And as you can see, he knows his football, knows his football history, and of course knows his NFL draft. It was an extreme pleasure having you on tonight, Bill, and I hope to do it again sometime very, very soon. I would be very, very disappointed if I did not get a return visit at some point. You absolutely will, Bill. No need to fret here. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it'll come sooner than later. And that's all for today here on Sports Crush with D. Crom. But we will be back with the final edition of our NFL Draft Preview Series on Monday, which will be a breakdown of this year's quarterback class with Aaron Lemming of BeerReport.com. And we also plan to do a pre-draft day special next week in the form of an on-air mock draft, so stay tuned. Finally, be sure to check out our complete broadcast archive, as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com, and that is Crunch with a K. For Bill Carroll, our producer Chris Broadhead, man in the box, I'm David Cromwell saying so long and stay awesome. Excuse me. <laughs> You've got to stop rubbing your face with cats right before the show. <laughs>